So, uh, uh, hi, it's Graham here. Sorry to interrupt your podcast listening like this, but uh, I wondered if you could do us a little favour. I haven't told Carol I'm going to do this, and frankly, I'm not sure she's going to find out. Let's maybe keep it that way, shall we? Uh, I don't think she listens to the podcast, so she won't hear that I've tacked this on to the beginning. But the European Security Blogger Awards, they're about to happen, and Smashing Security has been nominated in a couple of categories. Huzzah, huzzah! You can vote in the awards for your favourite security blogs and security podcasts, hint, hint, but you've only got a few days before the voting closes. So do it today. Do it now. Hit pause. Oh, not before I've told you the URL. It's smashingsecurity.com slash vote. That will redirect you through magic to the voting form. And, well, hey, made the best podcast co-hosted for the last six or so years by a Brit and a Canadian win. Um, yeah, over to you. Smashingsecurity.com slash vote. Thank you very much. We love you all, uh, at least the people who vote for us. Uh, but for now, back to your normal service. And uh, sorry about this interruption. Today's episode of Smashing Security is brought to you by Rapid7. Identifying, prioritizing and managing vulnerabilities all the way through to remediation is not only possible, it can be simple right now. Build a vulnerability management program that works for you with Insight VM by Rapid7. Get started with your free 30-day trial at www.rapid7.com. That's www.rapid7.com. And thanks very much to Rapid7 for supporting the show. Smashing Security, Episode 31. Petcha Don't Know the Name of This Ransomware, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Smashing Security, episode number 31 for the 29th of June 2017. My name's Graham Cluley, and I'm joined as always by my co-host and good buddy, Carol Terrio. Hello, Carol. How are you? Hello, I'm good. Hello from the great big plains of Canada. Oh, yeah, you're out there at the moment, aren't mm-hmm. you? Visiting the Terrio family massif. Mm-hmm. How's that going? Well, it's going to be big. It's a big Canada Day weekend. So there's uh, 40 of my family are coming over for a three-day uh, jaunt. What, 40? Yeah. <laughs> that is quite a party. Yeah, there's a lot of prep work. But I've, of course, made time for the podcast. <laughs> You've got your priorities right. And the other person who's got his priorities right is our special guest today. He's prolific info security journalist and blogger David Biss. Hello, David. Welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Yay. Delighted to have you on board. Good. And um, I'm sure you've heard the podcast before, but if you haven't, this is how it works, everybody. What we do is we each choose a topic from the news, uh, last week's news of computer security and privacy, and we have a little bit of a chat about it. And as tradition dictates, I get to go first. Um <laughs> He's the guy who doesn't open doors for people either, so it's no problem. What do you like? (laughs) What? That is outrageous. I I don't think you've ever decided, even when I had an operation, I don't think you said, oh, let me carry that for you. Oh, and the truth comes out. Whoa. (laughs) That that is quite some... It's going to be a serious podcast today, folks. Well, we want to make it edgy. We want to make it edgy. Good job you're in Canada and I'm over here, is all I can say. So, the topic we've all got to talk about, of course, is this week has seen a massive new ransomware outbreak hitting companies around the world, primarily in Ukraine, but also in other countries as well, called Petya, or um, 
Is it called NotPetya? It seems that computer security companies can't quite agree whether this is a variant of the Petya ransomware that we've seen before or something which is mimicking it in some fashion. Maybe actually that doesn't matter that much. Maybe sometimes we have Yes, it bot. matters. It does, does it? matter because, I mean, this has been going on forever. As long as I've been in the industry, which is like <clears throat> years, we've always had arguments <laughs> about, you know, all the names and the different, uh, you know, the names for these things. And it happens because all the companies are working simultaneously on trying to develop and look at it and research it and then talk about it. And they all come up with different names. And, you know, it's frustrating because you have to know what you're talking about in order to talk about it. But sometimes I worry that there is a danger that the security companies spend so all the analysts sort of, you know, on Twitter going, it is not this, it is this kind of malware instead. Sometimes that doesn't actually matter very much to the man in the street. And I thought Martijn Gruten, uh, the editor of Virus Bulletin, summed this up rather well in a mm-hmm. tweet. He was basically saying, look, if you found an injured man had fallen out of a tree... Um, if it was the InfoSec community, they'd spend half of their time saying, oh, you were really dumb to climb that tree. And the other half would be saying, oh, what kind of tree actually is it that he climbed? Rather than dealing with the person who's seriously injured. You know, I think giving the advice on how to protect yourself was more important maybe than exactly what strain of ransomware it was. Mm. I know, but agree? I think, you know... People want to study this stuff, right? People want to people want to be able to kind of look at it and be able to say this is similar to this previous version of a virus. We saw this five years ago. I, I get that. I get, and I, I you know, and it only came out and, yesterday. It only well, came out yesterday. Well, that's 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 the thing, right? It's only just came out on Tuesday, uh, and yet everyone is. That's the thing is. I think focusing too much on that on day one is perhaps a little bit over the top and not the most important thing. Let let me tell you what I think is the most important thing about this ransomware. So in many ways, it was a bit like WannaCry. And you remember WannaCry, of course, a month or two ago, it was hitting organisations, particularly the British National Health Service, very hard. And it exploited a Windows exploit which had been developed by the National Security Agency, the NSA, and they called it Eternal Blue. Now, that same exploit was used in part by this new ransomware, which I'll call Petya for the uh, purposes of simplicity. So it was using that to spread, although it wasn't using it as vigorously and aggressively maybe as WannaCry was. And so we haven't seen quite as many infections. And of course, it was encrypting your files. If you booted up your computer, you would think your hard disk was being repaired because it was mimicking the old DOS command Mm. check disk. Mm -hmm. Um, If you saw that message, by the way, turn off your PC immediately as it would stop the encryption. But it was also trying to gain admin access to infected computers. It was scouring your memory for domain admin credentials. Why are you saying was? Because it's still it's still hitting. Well, yes, but it isn't really sort of spreading on mass. We 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 aren't getting huge numbers of new reports of it mm. compared to some of the other malware outbreaks which have happened. It looks like I mean there certainly was a really big sort of initial hit. Ukraine got hit particularly hard. They seem to be the initial ones hit. Energy companies, Kiev Airport, even the deputy prime minister um, Pavlo Rozhenko. Here I go again. Pavlo Rozhenko um, was tweeting pictures of his PC mid-encryption. He was saying, um, ta-da! He was saying in his sort of Cyrillic accent. Um, as his, he as was his saying computer. ta-da? What? Yes, ta-da. He was saying, ta-da! Here is my computer right now being uh, encrypted. Um, oh. So he he was fairly laid back about <laughs> yeah. it. Which, which was, 
<laughs> Which I thought was great because, meanwhile, Chernobyl nuclear power plant was being hit and the, the site's automatic radiation monitoring systems would be knocked out by the ransomware attack. Oh. So, um, there you go. Don't, mm. don't panic, folks. Nothing to worry about here. Nothing to see. <laughs> it wasn't just Ukraine which was hit, though. Um, there were other companies around the world, multinationals, the marketing Goliath, uh, WPP, who is a parent company of a lot of, yeah, we know them, don't we? Mm-hmm. A lot of marketing companies work for them. Uh, shipping giant Mayesk mm-hmm. and Russia's top oil producer, Rozhneft, all of which got hit. So um, why the Ukraine? Why do we th- were they focused, targeted or... Well, you see, again, the conspiracy theories begin, don't they? Because we have seen attacks before against Ukraine, uh, against the energy systems over Mm -hmm. there. And a lot of fingers have been pointed towards Russia as being doing that kind of thing. Um, Some have suggested that there is a piece of software called Midok. It's a Ukrainian accounting software program. It may even be mandatory in Ukraine. I'm not sure. And There are allegations that it pushed out a very dodgy update containing malware. And what a fantastic way, if that was true. And I don't know. We certainly know MeDoc did have problems with the malware, but I don't know yet if it's been confirmed whether they pushed out the malware or not. But MeDoc actually posted something on Facebook denying that and saying that I guess its initial update came out on June 22nd. Mm -hmm. But Malwarebytes came out and said, no, no. it initially happened on on the on the twenty seventh right. yesterday, so which was the day when, when this ransomware you know struck. So it, it yeah, and, and I guess that could explain if it was mm-hmm. Medoc, it could explain why there would be so so much fewer targets because then you would figure that it would be like foreign investors and companies that are linked to Ukraine's government that uses this software. There's only been like I think a reported two thousand victims so far. So if it's tied to that software, it would make sense that it'd be smaller in scale. Or, of course, if you are a multinational with offices in Ukraine and you had a flat network structure, and so the malware, this one of the things which it does is it doesn't spread, as I said, so aggressively between companies, but it is maybe quite aggressive inside your company looking to spread laterally through your organization. And that could have jumped it to other countries. Hence, we saw attacks in the UK, in Australia, in Spain, and so forth. So do we know, sorry, I I haven't read a lot about it as being on holiday. So do you know what, uh, how it spreads? How does it spread? Like does it spread via network once it's infected a particular machine or... Yeah, so it will find it can find other computers on the network which it can try and infect. It can exploit vulnerabilities in order to spread as well. But so like this initial, mm. so yeah, but this initial infection mm. um, is the thing which is the mystery. And and some people were speculating maybe it was via email attachment. So people were posting, "Oh, be careful about clicking on." But there's there's nothing really like that being found yeah, but on any on, scale again, yet. So there's all these people uh, looking. Right, we'll find out soon. Ho- hopefully, oh, yeah. I. I I certainly this story about maybe a dodgy software update that sounds a, that's tantalizing to me that's interesting because that would be an effective way of infecting a lot of computers seeding malware very quickly if you, you were able though, to infiltrate yeah. something like that do you think it was mal do you think though it was a question of having maybe um less secure code within the update that allowed it to be able to carry a a piece of malicious code or do you think it was actually you don't know yet, but you're. Well, I, I, I'm I, asking I, you to guess. This is what pundits do, isn't it? <laughs> well, who knows? My, my guess is that maybe there wasn't sufficient uh, digital signing on the updates to mm-hmm. check that they had actually been approved. Maybe yeah. they'd been meddled with. We don't know what the security was like at the company, or even if that company yet. We don't know if they were the ones to actually push out um, a dodgy update or not. The good news is, 
um, that there is a way of protecting your computers other than obviously an antivirus update and, and patching and so forth. And that is you can create a file called P-E-R-F-C, perfect. Uh, with no extension. The guys at Cyber Reason, they blogged about this. If you put that in your Windows folder, the ransomware, when it tries to start encrypting your files, it looks for that file. And if it's there, it won't encrypt your file. So it's a good way of inoculating a single PC. But of course, it won't stop the malware from spreading to other computers as well. So this is an empty file just with that name. Yeah, that's right. P-E-R-F-C. And we're, we're putting a link in the show notes where you can read some more of all about that. Cool. So the big question is, are the criminals making any money out of this? And the answer seems to be, well, David, I think you looked into this a bit. It doesn't look like they're going to have very much success, yeah. are they? Yeah, from what I've seen, well, I guess they're following the tradition of WannaCry in a way because they didn't really make a lot of money from this either. Um, from that attack, they, I believe, sent uh, victims to one of four Bitcoin addresses as far as payments. So they weren't able to attract incoming payments as well as they should have if they wanted mm -hmm. to make money. So that, that basically then victims, when they paid the WannaCry attackers, they the attackers never knew then who had paid. So it was just a mess in that sense. Now, with uh, Petya, it's a little bit different in that it seems like there's a manual payment validation where you have to send uh, a proof of payment <laughs> email to the attackers saying that, okay, yeah, I paid. Here is, I, I, I guess, a, a screenshot or something. And you get to validate your email address at the same yeah, time. Yeah, I know. That's it's great. perfect. <laughs> Include your social security number and your address and everything. <laughs> so obviously, I mean, that makes it hard because then potentially you'd be getting hundreds, thousands of emails and that, that takes time. But there's also this thing that happened where an email provider discovered that the address that was receiving basically proof of validation of payment, mm. um, that email provider discovered that they were hosting that email for the attackers. So oh. they pulled the plug. Right. Right. And that means that anyone who sends them proof of payment can no longer receive the decryption. <laughs> so at this point, then it's basically victims um. are out of luck. If well, they were hoping to pay the attackers and if they didn't have any other backup mechanisms in place, let's hope that they did. And there's no, you know, as we've seen before, there is no guarantee that if you pay, it's all going to go smoothly and everything's going to come back. And it's like it never happened. Right. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Now, this this email provider that was Postio. Uh, they're a German sort of privacy focused email supplier, aren't they? And I, I, I think it's quite interesting that they did that because... I certainly hope that they worked with law enforcement before shutting down that email address, because obviously it it could be inconvenient to victims who may want to try and pay. I mean, whether you think it's right or not, it, it, it's a bit of a nuisance to them, isn't it? Because now that option has disappeared from them entirely. Yeah. But potentially, there might also have been opportunities for the authorities to monitor that email address and maybe gather more information but about who might have been behind it. You know, you make a really good point, right? Because you have to act fast and all this. So, you know, you were complaining earlier that we don't have a, you know, that the naming and people worrying about all that. It's because it's brand new and people are running around like headless chickens just to try and find out what this thing's doing, who's infected, how do we stop it? And I can imagine that sounds like a very good idea. Stop the emails, right? Right at the beginning, shut it down, shut down the email address would be a really good uh, first idea. But as, you know, as we were hearing, it could be very difficult. And would you, you know, maybe we, companies need to think about getting a policy together, you know? know, a security policy. If this happens, what is it? What, what's the protocol? 
Well, in fairness to them, I think many of these email providers do have terms and uh, terms and conditions where they say, if you use our service for any criminal activity, we will shut down your account. Yeah. You know, so it's yeah. almost like a, an automatic process. No, it's not a legal oh, thing, right? You know, it's not but, a legal thing. But, um, of course, it becomes, it becomes more complicated, doesn't it? Because potentially... That might have been useful. I don't know. So I don't know whether they worked with the authorities before shutting it down or not, but maybe it would actually have been handed to keep it up. I, I always notice how some of these hacking gangs have Twitter groups, for instance, which seem to survive quite often for a long time without Twitter shutting them down. And I've always been curious as to whether that's actually at the behest of law enforcement uh, who may be trying to gather information about those groups and mm. uh, observing if anyone ever logs in without taking necessary anonymization efforts beforehand. Mm. So we have to remind everyone what they need to do because we've yes. seen this many times. So yeah. what are the rules? Ransomware isn't you, right? So you need to back up and you need to patch. Mm-hmm. Oh, and you need to back up and you need to have a layered defense. Oh, and you need to test your backup. And after yes. that, you need to back up. Maybe Pavlo Rosensko was having a backup, which is why he was laughing during his tweeting of pictures. Oh, I was very impressed by your accent there, Carol. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> I don't show off as often as you. But, yeah. And let me just say, too, please stop clicking on malicious attachments. Just like if, if, the, if there's something wrong with the email, just, just delete it. Well, hey, you know what? I have a qu- Yeah, okay, I get that. But have you guys seen? So I, I use Gmail. And have you seen it now offers you kind of automated, an option of automated responses if you're busy? So, Graham, you emailed me yesterday about the podcast, and I could just click a button saying, thanks for the update, right? And, uh, you know, you, <laughs> Suitably uh, generic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Basically all- meant, I haven't read this, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we used to always give advice, like if the email is worded too generically, or if there's, you know, if it doesn't sound like the person that you've emailed, don't, you know, open the, you know, don't read or don't open an attachment. But somehow this automated system kind of reverts that, you know, you won't be able to see so much, right? You're just going to get these automated responses that, you know, you won't be able to read through. And I think that could work to the criminal's advantages. Okay, wise words. Well, David, what's your topic this week? What have you got for us? All right. So I found this one story. Um, It has to do with the Australian Driverless Vehicle Initiative. So obviously driverless cars are in the news recently. They're becoming more of reality. Lots of different companies are developing this technology, testing it. Um, But this one initiative in Australia has some national quirks that it needs to work out just because of the nature of of Australia and what its transportation system has to deal with. Like, so... I guess they're working right now on trying to program the vehicles to recognize like unsealed roads and unmarked highways. And I guess I didn't know that this was a thing in Australia, but they have these these like huge trucks, if you will, called road trains. Yes. Where it's these like barreling three or more trailers and they're yeah. 53 meters long. And these things are huge. I've never seen them. And here they go the fast. States. They really you, move. You get out of the way. So, so it's yeah. like a it's, it's like a regular Big articulated lorry, but yeah, but like, like think, like think, mammoth, big, 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 and there's three or four trailers behind yeah. it. Like they're it, actually trains in yeah. a way; they're just not running on rails. Yeah. So My goodness. So there's there's all that going on, but the interesting thing is that there's also a problem of local fauna. <laughs> As it turns out, these cars are having a very difficult time accurately detecting kangaroos. So what happens? I know it's weird. So what happens is that these cars use the ground as right. a reference point to detect distance. Okay. 
So no. when the kangaroo's on the ground, it's fine. It can say, okay, well, that kangaroo is whatever, <laughs> like 50, 50 yards away. But when it's in mid-flight, I guess it looks further away than it actually is. But when it lands, oh. it's closer. So that... I guess the distance is constantly changing with a kangaroo, so there's the risk that you can't detect it accurately, and that it'll, it'll, it'll hit the kangaroo and then put the driver in jeopardy. Yeah, and totally screw up the system. So the car, exactly. God knows, God knows what the car is going to do, and it goes, "Whoa, you're way closer than I thought." Yeah, so, <laughs> so, so, so you, it's, you, it's you, like a perspective thing because it's up in the air. The car sees more road beneath, and it assumes that it's further. I mean, and it thinks, my God, that's a really big kangaroo, but it's like a <laughs> distance away. <laughs> so you have to wonder, it's like, if if the ground and this being in the air of the kangaroo is a problem, like, does that apply to, say, someone who could be, like, running and they're in midair? If, like, a yeah. kid is jumping rope, would it or, produce the same yeah. effect? Or on a hoverboard? Yeah, and, like, you, you figure that, I mean, I know <laughs> yeah. that a couple of different companies are developing flying cars, and they're saying that there is going to be maybe in the air by 2020. We'll see if that happens. Pogo like, sticks. Pogo, Pogo sticks. sticks? Yeah. Like, Space so hoppers. If, <laughs> as we get more and more into the air with our vehicles, like, then what can, can these, like, f- flying cars, as they're calling them, Drones? be... Be pilotless drones? Could those be? Uh, it, I don't know. It's it's an interesting dilemma that seems like it could apply to other initiatives besides Australia's. It's like, how are they going to deal with this problem? Mm. Wow. I, I, I bet they chose Australia because they're like, well, there's not that many people there. It's not going to be that many accidents. <laughs> so so what what is the Australian driverless vehicle initiative? What, what are they doing about this? Are they putting sort of like fake kangaroos on pieces, on rubber bands and dangling them in front of cars to sort of mimic? Because you don't want to make it, you don't want to have an accident, right? You don't want to crash into a real kangaroo. Maybe they're testing it with a bunch of bungee ropes, dummies on bungee ropes, where they can just kind of be <laughs> popping and bouncing around and then try and drive the, thru- the car through a, a crazy course to see who gets hit and who doesn't. I'm, I'll give that away as a possible experiment they can use. This is bonkers, isn't it? Yeah, I don't. And apparently, well, it, this isn't just driverless cars either. In Australia, apparently, there are sixteen thousand collisions with kangaroos a year. So even with drivers behind mm. the wheel, kangaroos are still a traffic hazard. So it seems more of a kangaroo problem. And then a driverless car problem. I mean, they have to figure out, uh, like, what can we do about oh, kangaroos? I see. I, I, yeah. I, see, I see where you're going to. I see. Yeah, so, nice wonder. No, no, nice one, David. You're blaming the kangaroos. You're saying blame the kangaroos. That's what you're saying. Kangaroo you just want to, have a, you want to have a kangaroo cull how just for your driverless cars. How Unbelievable. High, how high do kangaroos actually jump? I guess it's not, you know, that's probably the reason you don't actually have fences depends. on the sides of the roads, right? Depends yeah. how nicely you ask them. What I mean, uh, what I think, I mean, you see other countries doing this, how they have like these animal crossing, like pathways that go either over the road or like underneath the road or something like that. Maybe Australia could start to incorporate that kind of infrastructure so that there'll be less collisions. I don't know if that's feasible because it seems like this is all over the country. So that would be a huge project to, to undertake, but uh, it, it seems like they have to do something about kangaroos and then they can worry about the driverless cars. Mm. But it makes you think, right? Of, you know, this is just one country. You know, you know. Yeah. I mean, other things hop. Yeah, right. Yeah, including Graham on his pogo stick. Exactly. <laughs> Thumbnail picture for the podcast. <laughs> I, I, do, I do believe we have some listeners down under. 
Okay. We do. We definitely so, do. Yeah. So if if you are one of these poor Australian listeners who's afflicted by kangaroos hopping around and you're worried about your driverless cars, why not tweet us or send us a message and tell us what you think should be the solution to this problem? Because it sounds like a, a serious topic for concern. So, Carol, finally, we're over to you now. What have you got for us this week? Well, I am going to talk about Amazon's new device, the Echo Show. So for $229, you can get all the things you love with Echo, but now they've added a seven inch video screen that's always on. So welcome to your always listening, endlessly personalized <laughs> world and to hell with the teeny tiny scraps of privacy you still enjoy. <laughs> exactly. As if, you, as if you weren't happy enough that Echo was listening to you all yeah, of the time. Now it can see you. <laughs> now it can see you as well. Oh, uh, just wait. It's just I did a bit of research this morning. It blows my mind. Um, so people like Echo because it does things like create shopping lists or it sets kitchen timers or it can uh, play music, turn on the lights. And now with the screen you can now watch movies or how-to videos from youtube or get a recipe and you know follow it because i guess before if people did recipes on echo you'd have to you'd have to read it out to you and go wait a minute what was that again can you repeat that <laughs> so now you can actually read it right um but you know i kind of think did, couldn't we do this with phones and tablets like you know before all this stuff seems a bit anyway but and also these these are menial tasks like you know a car we're talking about cars cars get you from a to b right so a car can save me from having to walk 100 miles to go see my gran yeah, right providing there's no kangaroos <laughs> yeah, exactly. yes yeah yeah exactly um so it's dangerous but it gets me there but you know a, a, an always available device so i can speak rather than write down my shopping list just seriously, like it just doesn't seem the trade-offs there for me. However, loads of companies are loving all the Echo stuff. So there's companies like Ring and Arlo and Nest and August and Logitech, and they're all creating Alexa skills, uh, you know, take advantage of the new functionality of the Echo show. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the new feature, the brand new big feature of it. And this all is right. called Drop-In. So I'll start off by saying, and you'll get where I what I feel about this. It's fortunately disabled by default. <laughs> But oh, when good. it's activated, when it's activated, it lets you select people who you can remotely activate your Echo Show's camera and drop in without even needing to pick up the call. Okay, so this is called like instantly oh, wow. connecting to one of your Echo devices for a chat with anyone with the app on their device. So if Graham... Okay, yeah. So imagine I had I have an Echo show. Let's imagine I have an Echo yeah, show. Yeah, right. And you, we've decided to say, yeah, we want drop-in and I'm one of your, you know, one of your contacts. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, right, okay. As, yeah, if, as if, as if, right. Yeah, right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right, so uh, so we have that set up and I can go, go on my, say my iPhone and get the, uh, the, the app and kind of say, yeah, call Graham. Yeah, yeah And yeah. it will instantly go to your camera right so the, for the few right. few the first few seconds after dropping in it will show a frosted glass effect on my end right, right. so i guess if you're all nude or having sexy times or whatever um you you, you have a few in, in seconds. my kitchen that's right oh hey why not why not in the kitchen that's it's good enough for mickey rourke and kim bassinger wasn't it <laughs> maybe that's the whole thing maybe amazon is sick of people doing oh. sexy times outside the bedroom so it's oh. forcing you back into your um, but it gives you a few seconds to scramble out of the way. Um, or you can actually say, please don't activate the video camera now. Just voice, please. So we can just listen to you rather than watch you. Yeah, which is going to be suspicious, isn't it? Yeah. That's romantic. So sometimes it's kinkier to listen, isn't it? Well, I don't want to see anything. I'd love to hear it, though. I, I don't want to see it. <laughs> 
I was I was reading one article where um, a reviewer was a uh, reviewer was uh, was reviewing this, you know, and he came down and his wife had turned it around and uh, he was like, what'd you do that for? She goes, it's creepy. I'm doing my yoga. Right. Because it can detect when you're in the room. Right. So right. it kind of it never gets turned off, but it kind of goes to sleep, whatever that means, when it doesn't detect, it doesn't hear anyone or doesn't see anyone. But if you're around, it kind of is there in waiting mode, waiting for instruction, waiting for you to buy more stuff from Amazon. If you don't want to be detected, then do you have to like turn off all the lights and just move very slowly? <laughs> well, through some your guy tried. Some guy tried. And Did it didn't work. It didn't work. He brought it into his garage, turned off all the lights. I, I put the link into the show notes. I can't remember which reviewer did it. And he it didn't move it and it still knew it was there. So, so uh, when did, how does it sleep then? I mean, like, to what degree do you have to go to unplug get it? It never. Oh. Some people actually complain. Well, there's that, your answer. Yeah, yeah, some people complain the display is really bright even in um, quiet mode. The, you can never turn off the screen, so it's black. It kind of darkens, but it's never Ooh. black. Now, now here's the other big thing with this drop-in feature, right? If you decide to activate drop-in, Amazon will then want to access all of your contacts, so it can find which contacts have. <laughs> oh my! Right, so it can snarfle up all that information without. It, for example, I may not, I may be on Graham's phone without anything to do with Amazon Echo, and yet it still has all my information because Look, Graham's I'm offered sure that's that so in, context. I'm sure that's entirely innocent on the part of Amazon. They I'm sure have, it is. They don't have any ulterior motives in collecting <laughs> details like that. <laughs> no, like, I do have a good tip, though. This is from one of the Redditors. He said right. that he set up his Echo, I always forget the name, Echo Show, with a Google Voice number to avoid having to share contacts with his device. So this is David Silver. He said, I use Google Voice voice to get a free number and set it up on my iPhone. I never enabled contacts and the intercom works like a charm. So that's using the app, I believe. So apparently right, this is only available to US users. Yeah, but, Google uh, Voice isn't available in the UK. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. Mm. And apparently it's maybe only available in the States, but uh, that may be a way to get around it if you don't, if you really, really want one of these crazy devices in your house. And but you've don't still show got you. this problem. I mean, I'm, I'm not overly concerned about these devices being hacked. I mean, okay, so maybe that really? is an issue going down. Well, that might be an issue going down the road, right? I, I dislike the idea of a camera constantly being on you on an internet-enabled device because maybe it could be hacked. And clearly, if these things became really mainstream, it is something which bad guys might target. But more than that, the thought of anybody being able to open up a camera stream to my house, even if they are a friend of mine, without me saying, yes, that's fine. Yeah. Totally. Because it's just connecting. There is the onus upon the poor person who's having someone drop in on them, having to quickly say no. Okay, so imagine this. Yeah, imagine this, right? You have just stuffed your face with a big slice of pizza. (laughs) I call you up. You can't respond because your mouth is just... Tuesday nights at Graham's house. Yeah, right. (laughs) It's it's a plausible scenario. Graham's Graham's mouth is completely full. And Alex is like, great. And then I get to see it. I take a picture of it and then post it on Twitter. So this is... That's what friends are for. <laughs> now, what I find really ironic about all this is there's loads of security companies who are trying to jump on the bandwagon. So, right, right. like, show me the front door or show me, you know, show me the basement if you think, you know, there may be an intruder, or you think something's oh, okay. going yeah. on. Yeah. But isn't it weird that they're using a device that's basically completely eroding privacy and security, you know, digitally in order to do so? Hey, hey, crow, crow. Yeah. You know, there's an Amazon... Alexa skill for smashing security. So we've actually, if you say to well, your Amazon... Well, when you Amazon, say we, you mean you did this on our behalf? 
So if you if you tell your Amazon Echo what's it to you know what's the latest smashing security or listen to smashing it'll it'll do it all you know that all right so Ooh. that's good so you, so we're, you we're, bitch about we're these things you bitch about these things and then you try and take advantage we are basically known to the listeners as well <laughs> um, so some people actually think that they're targeting what I found also weird is like you know so I was reading all the fine print and define you know I went into the FAQs for this uh, you know Echo I can't remember the name Echo, Echo Show. Show Echo, Echo Show. Show Echo Show like Echo um, and the Bunny Men but we'll show and there's really very little about security, like really incredibly little. And and someone suggested that perhaps they're trying to target a more, you know, an older population with this because they're finding, I, I certainly know from my experience working with my, you know, my parents and, and stuff that it's, yeah. you know, can be difficult, the interoperability between the systems and the apps and making sure everything works and, you know, how does, yeah. so it, and maybe by not, maybe the kind of the whole the strategy here is by not talking about security, it doesn't even come to mind and people don't discuss it. Because there's a mm. lot of articles about this, reviews that aren't really going into the security elements of this at all. You see, I, I think for some people, this might be quite a cool device because it does sound like it would be an easy way to do a FaceTime-like video chat with other people in your family, yada, yada, yada. You know, and that would be lovely, wouldn't it, for people who are maybe slightly technology-averse to use well, something which is completely voice-activated rather than a user interface where they have to know what I, to click I in have order a better to do one, it. Right? So say, this is one, this is the only thing that I mm-hmm. thought, actually, this is really useful. So say you have a much older relative and you're worried about them living on their own at this stage what a great thing to be able to you know like for example my grandmother you know before she passed she fell and she was lying there for 24 hours in her apartment before you know until our next visit and it was awful she couldn't get to the phone so this may be able to save those kind of situations really well but even then could yeah. Amazon not have had voice activated approval for the connection? So you, so it could have said, Carol is trying to ring you. Carol is trying to ring you, Grandma. Say and yes grandma, to accept. Yeah. And Grandma could have said, yes, connect. Whereas this will just open up. Furthermore, Carol, uh, well, it's, it's, it's horrible what you're saying, you know, yeah, that yeah. sort of scenario. No, but, but these particular devices, they aren't going to be located on the floor. They are angled upwards. They're, they are typically sit at sort of waist height or, or, or higher. Yeah. They're not going to see someone who's fallen on the floor anyway, are they? Yeah. No, but they they're might pointed be able to, the, Yeah, that's true. They're pointed at the ceiling. They're seeing that rather, uh, you know, that ugly, unattractive thing where you can selfie yourself. You get all your double chin and your neck and all the rest of it in. Yeah. That, that's the kind of angle which these devices are I know, are it's using. weird. And it's weird that they're so static, you know, because you think, how? why would people want this over, like I use I use my iPad all the time, right? I do a lot of cooking. I bring my iPad in to, to, for whatever reasons, right? But I'd be able to take it in and out. And I like that flexibility. Maybe Amazon just wants to sell more devices, sell their Echo Dots so they can go around the home. Maybe. And yeah. I mean, you say like waste high height i mean i i think of just kids yeah, like yeah. what if like the kids are in the yes. room and it, it's just uh, i'm gonna go off on a tangent for a second Good. like so <laughs> so you, you have to wonder like what do these kinds of devices and we'll ne- we won't know this for years but like say that you're you're a kid and you're growing up in this house where these devices are always listening to you and now can always see you like what even besides like protecting your information and and trying to keep your life private, like what does that mean for you as an individual? Like how can you become you when something is always watching? Like mm-hmm. the, the home is supposed to be like the ultimate source of privacy mm-hmm. where you can develop and like form your own conception of yourself. Yeah. And then now this that just seems entirely possible if the only way that you can shut off this device is literally to unplug it. So it's just... 
it, yeah. it seems like it's damaging for our self concepts. And then what does that mean then for us going forward as, as far as like advancing society and, and being different and th- having plurality yeah. in the world. And think about even dating, right? You've gone, you, you, you're dating this guy, you decide, yeah, let's go on drop in, we're buds. Oh, it's not working out anymore. Like what, do you have to go f- locate them and take them off while they call you repeatedly, you know, giving you their endless love, you know? I can yeah. tell you're there. I can see you hiding. <laughs> <laughs> and poor people I have a friend who's named Alexa and I'm <laughs> oh gosh oh, wow. for real I wonder why they chose that name I wonder if it's like a really you know it was one of the names yeah. that was least popular but easy to say in the western world I don't know but she's gonna have to change her name to Uber or something like that, <laughs> she? as simple as that right okay uh, I think we got to that Carol we better do our sponsor slot yes we should <laughs> And thanks again to our sponsors this week, Rapid7, the company which decided that Rapid4, Rapid5, Rapid6, well, who likes six that's rapid? Uh, They weren't good enough for them. No, they called themselves Rapid7. Identifying, prioritizing, and managing vulnerabilities all the way through to remediation isn't only possible. It can be simple right now. Build a vulnerability management program that works for you with Insight VM by Rapid7. Get started with your free 30-day trial at www.rapid7.com. And thanks again to Rapid7 for supporting the show. Okay, welcome back to the show. And it's time for us to choose... It's our favourite part of the show. It's the pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick of the week. Come on, David. David. Pick of the week. <laughs> so, my pick of the week uh, this week is a podcast. Oh, by- mine's a podcast too. <sighs> oh, I feel so good. I didn't choose a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is it? Mine's a better one, I'm sure. <laughs> okay. My podcast is called Malicious Life. And it's a new, brand new podcast by a guy called Ran Levy. And it looks all about the origins of cybercrime, its early roots, all the way through to the modern crime ecosystem. And along the way, he's going to cover ransomware, of course, and Stuxnet. And uh, he's got Um, an upcoming episode tackling the Dark Avenger. Yes. I thought we decided the pick a week was going to be about things outside security. I think we said it could be security. Oh, interesting. Interesting. (laughs) Interesting. I think I'll go back and listen. (laughs) All right. You can have this one. Okay. Anyway, uh, uh, funnily enough, Ran actually interviewed me for the podcast. Um, oh, so, God. <laughs> little, little shameless plug here. Oh, yeah. Uh, little. <laughs> and the first episode had come out this week. I think another episode is coming out this week as well. Should all be a, a good thing. And um, I think after that, uh, there'll be a new episode every two weeks. And I was just thinking, if you like the Smashing Security podcast, you might want to try out Malicious Life as well, because there'll be some good old stories of good old days uh, of malware and what's going on out there. And uh, I like his style. So uh, cool. links in the show notes. And that is my pick of the week. Cheating. Yeah. Cheating. Pick of the week. <laughs> Self-promoting. Pick of the week. <laughs> David, what's your pick of the week? My pick of the week is um, really an event more than it is a thing. Um, I guess this week marks the 50th anniversary of the ATM. Oh, so no it's way. Been for 50 years, but before you break out the noisemakers, it's not as old as Graham. It doesn't seem like the ATM is going to last for much longer. Lots of people in the industry are saying, well, you know, with mobile payments and digital banking, we probably aren't going to see ATMs make it 
to their 60th anniversary. So just the way society... Whatever, whatever. That's what they're saying. Yeah. That more and more people are becoming hesitant to use cash and that we're just moving in the direction of a completely cashless society, thereby nullifying the need for an ATM. So I we'll have to see... Cash. Do you love cash? Gas is cheaper with cash. Yeah, right? Cash. So. Do you carry cash still? Seriously, do you, are you a, a cash-carrying kind of individual? Not, not as much as my wife. My, <laughs> my wife tends to have a lot of cash, I've noticed. I don't tend to have as much. Oh, I, I like having cash because then you're not being tracked every time you buy anything, right? You can just go exactly. pay for something with cash. I'm a big, I'm a cash man. You can do it anonymously. If anyone wants to send me any cash, I'm, um, I'm happy to get it. Can we get a link for that? <laughs> <laughs> cash is pretty cool. It's, it's a bit like Bitcoin, really, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That was much grubbiness associated with it. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. Now, I, I have a fascinating fact about ATMs which I happen to know because I was reading an article about ATMs the other day. Okay. And like you said, it's the 50th anniversary. The world's first cash machine was uh, opened or, or uh, displayed in Enfield in London, which is a slightly unusual location. But the interesting thing was that they had a celebrity come along to use it. And uh, this, I'm afraid, won't mean much to anyone outside of the UK or indeed anyone who's under the age of 45. But the celebrity was Reg Varney from the ITV sitcom On the Buses. So um, maybe I'll put a link in the show notes. David and, and I, see. Dave and I, whoosh, right over our <laughs> Yeah, head. exactly. Because we're the, young and hip. Yeah. On, on the Buses was a rather sort of salacious and sexist uh, sitcom about two geezers. Uh, who There was a driver and a conductor on a bus who'd drive around and sort of pull dolly birds. And oh, for so some we reason, had sexual harassment in the video as well? <laughs> Probably. And <laughs> well, no, it's not harassment. You know, it was just, it was the 70s. Oh, it's just sexism. Anyway, oh, yeah, anyway, who cares? <laughs> Good old-fashioned sexism. Yeah. But anyway, um, uh, Reg Varney, really bizarre choice, and I thought that might uh, tickle some memories for people. Can oh, I yeah. add another fact? Yes, please do. Please do. Uh, apparently, well, when the first ATM was created, uh, this might have been after what you're referring to, Graham, but when they were, when they were created, tellers, human tellers, hated them. So what I heard is that lots of tellers would go out at the beginning of the day to where the ATMs were located and would pour honey on the consoles <laughs> to render them useless. Because I guess they were very finicky back then where if one component failed, the entire machine wouldn't work. Mm. So this, this went on for a while, but of course technology picked up and improved and then they just spread everywhere. But interesting... I thought you were going to say that there'd be a huge swarm of bees come towards the ATM. Well, that ATM is also a deterrent. Drive away <laughs> ATM users. It's a good way to get, you know, for job security, just destroy the machines. Or you could say ATMs, yeah. they're sweet. <laughs> oh. He worked on that, and that's better than any joke you've done. That was the whole point, wasn't yeah, you know, it? What, imagine this how dare you, Graham? We have had to listen to so many bad jokes. Do you remember? We're not even going to go back to the last no, Don't weeks. do it. Don't no. do that one. Don't do that one. Oh. Okay. Thank you, David, for your pick of the week. Carol, what's your pick of the week? Well, mine's a podcast. And mine's oh. a podcast that's not about security. Um, it's called right. The Bright Sessions. Now, I have just been on a flight over, uh, flying around uh, for last week. So I snarfled about 30 shows during that time. Okay. And I'm completely addicted. So it's called The Bright Sessions. And it's a sci-fi audio drama about people with supernatural abilities 
in therapy and you're like this fly in the wall listening to the therapy session um it's, been, it's great i just i love it um it's created by lauren shippen and um it's premiered it's, it's been going for since 2015 so it's not brand new okay. which is also great because it means you have a huge backlog of shows to catch up on which is one of my favorite things when you find a great one and there's a nice backlog so every show is about 15 to 40 minutes long and it's fly on the wall style you're eavesdropping but from early on you get the feeling that the therapist might have ulterior motives right and hints or dri- yeah. no hints of what's going on are dribbled out really slowly uh, and it makes for very compelling listening which is and why i've watched said, and you said this is a sci-fi yeah, it's podcast. kind of sci-fi podcast. I would say supernatural. sci-fi. Supernatural. Yeah, they have supernatural. Oh. Yeah. But it's also for anyone who likes all that, uh, God, I would love to be you know, listening to a therapy session because they actually do have a, you know, someone, a consulting therapist who's helping them with it. So it, it seems oh. pretty real. And the script is good. The acting's solid. The cast is great. And the story's all twisty-turny. And I'm hooked. So I wanted to share that with all of you guys. So perfect right. for your flights during summer holiday des- you know, season. Okay. So the bright sessions, we'll, bright we'll sessions. put a link in the uh, in the show notes where people can find out more. Super. Well, thank you very much, Carol, for your pick of the week. And thank you, David, for joining us. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, that just about wraps it up. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. If you like the show, tell your friends. Let us know what you think. Maybe even give us a five-star review on iTunes. Don't give us a four-star review or a three-star review. I'm happy with four. Super. I'm happy with four. Really? Yeah. Hmm. I'm happy to be here at all. Uh, You know what? It was great having you on the show, David. You're a natural. It was indeed. And until next week, uh, toodaloo. Bye-bye. Au revoir. Bye. Back. I can't. <laughs>